Triple H FM Sports in association with Atlas Chartered Accountants. The Post, Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports welcomes you to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. And now here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at triplehfm.com.au, podcast.com, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. Anthony Bull Caruso, and we are back here for our second week of 2023. And with that is part two of our wrap-up of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Last week, we went through part one and a scintillating wrap-up of the competition in those groups. Now we bring you the second part and both halves as we go through. The crack team is back together, so let's get straight into them. First off, our chief football correspondent, the spicy chorizo, Dom Rizzuto. You're back with us and you're back ready to fire on all cylinders once again. Uh, always uh, firing on all cylinders, uh, Caruso, when it's uh, football or any sport, really, but particularly when uh, football's around my uh, V8 engine churns, that's for sure. Ferrari tuned, I take it as well? Oh, of course, always. As long as it's not exploding. Yeah. <laughs> You'd hope not. Uh, no, I'm still, I'm still feel sad for cut for science when that happened at the Austrian Grand Prix. But um, coming in with us as well, Luke Scarley. Good evening to you, and what a pleasure it is for you to, ha- to have uh, for us to have you here with us for part two in what has been a what was in the end a very exciting World Cup. Uh, very, very uh, happy to be here again. It was a very exciting World Cup. Uh, it's obviously all finished now, which is sad. Uh, but I'm, I'm eager to, to wrap the rest of the, the tournament with you too. Well, let's not waste too much time. We've had part one. Let's get straight into it. Pierluigi Colina is ready to call us into action, and we are set for a start. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. And we're going to start off now with Group E, where everyone got 25% in this group. And the reason why everyone got 25% in this in this group is because I don't think anyone could have predicted how topsy-turvy this ended up being. And we're going to start off, Dom, with a team that we all thought was going to win the group. Ended up finishing second. It was Spain, eliminated in the round of 16. And it's one of those times where it's like that high school student that really dominates all and then does nothing afterwards. They just peak too early. <laughs> yeah, uh, they did exactly that. I don't really have too much to say on them. Uh, once again, they were, I guess, you know, they were there and thereabouts. But once again, really disappointing uh, from Spain, who haven't really lived up uh, to those years where they had that golden generation. But, you know, they'll be back again. They played good football. Luis uh, Enrique resigned, obviously, which made a... A big difference uh, to um, where the way that they'll shape up moving forward. But once again, I called them dark horses at the start of the tournament and they really didn't live up to that tag whatsoever. And Luke, the, the, the fascinating thing about watching them play was they really did get stuck between what they used to play and then what they ended up becoming. They won the 2010 World Cup playing a genuine false nine and this time around, they really got stuck between whether they were going to play a false nine or play with a genuine number nine in Alvaro Morata. Yeah, Morata is 
really their only option up there. Uh, they could play a few others who are not at his level. Uh, False Niners seem to be the way they've gone in the past. Obviously, those you know gr- great generational era. There was Torres and David Villa to fill in that spot. So you're kind of you know comparing him to 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 those guys, which is just not fair on Morata. He already gets enough stick. Uh, but Spain could have could have done way better in this group stage. And I'm saying group stage specifically because if they come first, they would have been playing Croatia in the knockouts. Uh, obviously, Japan f- filled that spot and Croatia got through on penalties. I don't think they would have been as good as Japan were against Croatia because they're kind of all over the place, Spain, sometimes. Uh, they do a lot of possession for nothing at the moment. Uh, they don't get as many clear-cut opportunities as you probably would want them to get. Maybe that's the false nine or Murata just not being very good uh, that's causing that. Uh, or it could just be the fact that they're just not at the level we expect them to be at because we do just compare them to the past teams of the greats of Xavi, Iniesta, Villa, Torres. Uh, the, the 7-0 at the very start of the tournament, Jesus Christ, that was that was out of the blue. Um, I didn't expect that. Even though England put six past uh, Iran in the first game, we could have thought maybe they'd get some big some big games and Costa Rica aren't very good. But that Germany game, Germany weren't very good and they still had a draw with them. Uh, if they won that, great. They would have finished on seven. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, they would have been on six points and been level with Japan. And then the Japan game, there was a bit of controversy in that one, isn't there, with how was the ball over or not over? It clearly wasn't over the line. Uh, so, you know, they lost that one. And they're not going any further than the round of 16 anyways. And like Dom said, they'll be back. Maybe they'll be better next time, but Pedri and Gavi are going to be there and they're still going to be very good, but they're still not going to have any number nine unless someone comes out of the blue. And their back line is reasonable, but their goalkeeping stocks are not. So they need to work on that oh, as well. So That was know. baffling that they didn't play David De Gea and they play Unai Simon. I know. Not that it's, good. Like, I don't no, know why they insane. keep persisting with him. It's insane that that's oh. their, their number one option. And then... If they're not going to play David De Gea as uh, David De Gea as their number one, he's clearly not going to be their number two. So who have they got as their number two? Like, <laughs> it's a very very strange decision. So they need to work on a lot of things before the Euros. Uh, obviously, in that smaller tournament, just against European teams, they might look like much better again. Obviously, they made the the semis of the last one. If they make the semis again, I think we're all going to pump them up for the next World Cup. But they need to change a few things if they want to go further than the round of sixteen. I think the issue that they've had with David De Gea for a while now has just been his atti- general attitude. Uh, and I think it's something that's really started to shine through as of late at Manchester United as well. He just does not seem like someone who fits in the the mould for a World Cup in terms of his attitude there. Uh, much like oh, I don't someone know about that. That's, a, that's, a, he's that's so a harsh good call. He's, his attitude's always been fine. I think his attitude isn't a problem. I think his form hasn't been good enough, but he's still on his day like their best he's goalkeeper. Oh, easy, easy. Simon by a mile. He's making and saves with the team that are going to win you games. Simon does not make those saves. I don't think that they necessarily had a bad tournament, but they just didn't, you know, they just kind of faltered again in mm. the in the key moments. I thought Alvaro Morata was probably had his, was in his best touch in a Spanish jersey uh, in this tournament, but it wasn't to be. And like you said, they kept changing it up. They One week they're playing him up top and, it drove me nuts because I kept picking him in my fantasy team and then he wasn't playing in the next game. It didn't make any sense. Um, I was very shocked with the way they played. They left Sergio Ramos at home. That was strange too. I know the man hasn't played much football, but the man personifies winning. And 
the man of Spain. He made someone else better. His presence alongside someone, maybe he can't run anymore, but he would have just made better decisions than what they did. And they would have, and he would have provided them, I think, with leadership. Not that Jordi Alba is not a bad cap, not that Jordi Alba is a bad captain, but Ramos Ramos. knows how to run this team. Yeah. He's not Ramos in the sense of Ramos is going to take hold of any player on his team or the opposition and teach him a lesson. Alba's going to be the quiet guy who just wears the armband. He's not going to be the one who's being like, me first, I'm leading this team into battle. Yeah, and it's and it's that, that's the thing as well is, is this team. We'll come to another team later on in terms of leadership, like Ramos as leader. And before you that, you had Car- Carlos Puyol, who yep. was genuine leadership. He was this time a sensational player, and his leadership was even better than his playing style half the time. Let's say how good his leadership was. He 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 could he could run any team on any day from from the field. He was he was an on field coach. He was an on field mentor. He was an on field manager, and obviously that's why they did so well and got their group so so good in those those peak years. Let's move on to the next team, and this was a a team that I thought for mine was going to get the thanks for coming award, and in the end. Out of the blue, they beat Japan 1-0. It was Costa Rica. Yeah, they had an okay tournament, didn't they, really? I mean, sorry, I'm going to cut you off there. Um, But, you know, shot themselves in the foot with that start, didn't they? Well, they were never going to recover after that. But, you know, look. They, they won against Japan. They were far from disgraced against Germany as well. And they just, in the end, they ran out of steam against Germany. Yeah, it, it, it was strange. The The drubbing of 7-0, it seemed like it didn't really do much to their spirit of the game. They, they still thought they could go out and win. Obviously, they win the next game. Uh, which was just, it's just an odd group. that They went from 7-0 loss to a 1-0 win. Uh, and then... That third game, you know, they scored two goals and they still lost against a Germany side that wasn't very good. Um, you know, maybe that's their ultimate downfall and why they couldn't get out of the group. Uh, but we didn't expect them to get out of the group and they showed that they can win and they can score goals. But they also showed they can't not concede goals. You know, they, they conceded 11 goals in two games. Uh, that's never going to be good for you. And they just don't have a very good squad, so... Props to getting that one victory against Japan, but see you later. We then move on to, well, do we? Let's have a talk about Germany. <laughs> they were beaten in the first game by Japan. They drew against Spain, and then left it way too late to try and have any sort of impact to get back up against Costa Rica. Yeah, and the only reason, and the main reason they ended up missing out was because Spain did an absolute number on Costa Rica, Dom. But let's say the first year of the post Joachim Low period has not started well for the Germans. No, it hasn't. It's been awful. Uh, they had a poor Euros, really, where they were pretty crappy. They didn't get have a pretty decent tournament in the last World Cup either. They've, it's been poor since they won the World Cup. Which is unusual, really, because they had a good, they had a pretty stable squad that year or two. 
Uh, and it has, and it's still pretty strong now. Like, look on paper, it's pretty good. They don't have what they used to have, which was the two rocks at the back in Jerome Boateng and Matt Hummels in their heyday anymore. I mean, that was massive. And then, like, for teams who had to get past those two, then had to get past Manuel Neuer, who's not the same keeper he used to be, let's be honest. He's still world-class. But is he that presence that he once was? I don't think so. But they should still be getting past this group considering they had Japan and Costa Rica in it and a Spain side that is not nearly as strong as it used to be. I still think on paper their team is better than most teams in the World Cup. It's a top-five squad, but they just, I don't know what it is. The, the, the transition has been peculiar, to say the least. Maybe they're lacking a world-class striker at the moment, the German national side, just crippling them a little bit, but they've still got plenty of talent elsewhere to make amends for that. Luke, it didn't help as well that in this World Cup they were missing Marco Royce and Timo Werner through injury and then for some strange reason decided to not pick Julian Draxler as well. Uh, I'm not too worried about any of those. Royce is permanently injured, so they've, they've been capable in the past. Uh, Draxler, he's hit and miss for me. I'm not too 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 scared of him being left out. It's not like I'm like, shocked that he's left out. Uh, Dom hit the nail on the head as well. The The, the squad on paper is actually superb. Uh, the, the striker positions are lacking, but Serge Nabry knows how to score a goal. Sano knows how to score a goal. Muller obviously has shown his worth. The, the coming out party of the young guys will have to start at the Euros. Uh, I'm not expecting a full clean out from this team in terms of getting uh, more youth in or more mid-tier kind of representative players uh, because they have already kind of done that. Obviously, Thomas Muller is going to go. I would like them to see... I would like to see them just focus realistically on building a team around Kimmich, Goretzka and Musiala in the midfield. Uh, Kai Havertz can be your bench guy and then just change it back to uh, which Hummels and Boateng, as, as Dom mentioned, is what you want to live up to. Antonio Rudiger and Sule are good, but I would like to, I would like to see them go to Klosterman and Schlotterbeck uh, in, the, in, the, in the Euros and see what they can do. Once that's done, their squad's going to be ridiculous and they're going to be under the age of 25. So I'm not worried about them going forward. They just had a bad tournament. It's probably just a hangover from Joachim Lowe leaving. Uh, and, you know, if they just got one point, extra point or a goal and not tactically being dumb in terms of when they made their decisions to put players in goal-scoring opportunities, they would have finished first in this group. And we would have been laughing our way to being like, oh, great, Germany is still top-notch as always. There's there's one area that I think is going to be a bit of an issue for them, and it's going to be, yes, I am harping back to my position in the Keepers' Union, and it's the age of their goalkeepers. Manuel Neuer for the next World Cup will be 40. Kevin Trapp will be 36. Marc-Andre Testagen will be 34. And even the only other person that's been called up from time to time, Oliver Bormann, will be 36. Where is the next German goalkeeper? See, we always say this, but every top-tier nation has the next goalkeeper in the wings, don't yeah, they, really? Yeah. Because it's only, you've only got to fill one spot. It's not like a, you know they've got to rebuild an entire defence, right? 
they're, they've just got to build one spot. They'll have someone there. I have no doubt about that. Um, but they know, didn't take Italy, them there. For example, you look at Italy, for example, with with Buffon, you didn't think anyone was ever going to replace him. And then next minute, Donnarumma just showed up on the doorstep. And everyone was like, who the hell is this bloke? Um, and yep. he was obviously now a, well, a top-class keeper and, you know, and won a Euros at the age of, what, 22, which is ridiculous. But I Germany don't think didn't... that will be so much the issue. I think the issue will be where's that striker coming from? Well, yeah, yeah I don't that, know that's if they're going to be... find it. There's no one really performing now, but like you said, you just people just get found out of nowhere because you, Mbappe and Haaland were just nobodies, and then in one year, at the age of 17, 18, they turn into the next Messi and Ronaldo. So goalkeeper is probably a little bit, you know, easier to find someone that can fit in. Will they be as good as Neuer has? And unfortunately. You got your backups into Stegen and Trap, old as well. But someone, someone will show up, or some, someone will be great. That will just be twenty-two years old, and they'll just take the world by storm, make fifteen clean sheets in a season, and they'll be the guy for the next decade. I'm sure they'll be okay. Let's go to now to the team that won the group. They were eliminated in the round of sixteen. I gave them a B plus. I thought they were simple. I thought they were brilliant. And it is Japan. And look, it has to be said, Hajime Moriyasu was outstanding leading this team along with the along with their captain in Maya Yoshida-san. They, they were simply superb. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew how they wanted to play. And obviously, if you know your tactics and everyone does what they're supposed to do in, in terms of their job set down by the manager, uh, you're probably going to have a good time. And they, they did exactly that, and they, they won games. They, they still lost the game, obviously. And it doesn't really matter in the end now, in hindsight. But we didn't expect it, and they, they outperformed everything that we thought. So I'm actually going to bump it up to an A+. I wouldn't have thought that Japan were going to be this good in a group that consists of, of Spain and Germany. Maybe Spain and Germany were worse than we expected because Japan was so good, or maybe it was vice versa. Japan was so good because Spain and Germany were so much worse than we thought. But either way, watching them play, they played very, very good to watch. They played very, very good tactically, like they always will. Japanese sides are always great tactically and just have high energy. And they just looked like they were having fun out there. They didn't seem like they cared if they made it out of the group or not. And each game passed, and they looked more and more like they were going to get out of the group. And obviously they did, and it was just a great watch. Dom, your thoughts on Japan? Played magnificently. They were, I think, probably the biggest surprise packets of the tournament. They played really attractive football. They were fun to watch. They weren't a side that sort of rested on their laurels and hoped that – things would go their way. And in the end, I think they uh, were everyone's second favourite team at the end of the tournament. Uh, an A rating for me, I think A plus is a little extreme. I think you've got to get at least to the quarterfinals to get an A plus. But, you know, they did a, they did an excellent job at the end and they'll be relatively, um, you know, impressed with uh, the performances that they, they put on. And I, for one, I'm looking forward to... Um, uh, than being back in a you know four years time. Well, we can only 
we can only hope and we hope to see them perform what they did. And it has to be said, Dom, as well, uh, you know, a year ago, people were talking about whether Hajime Moriyasu was still going to have a job given how bad Japan's World Cup qualification was going. And to see it turn around, he has to be given a lot of credit for that. Oh, absolutely. They were really good. And he was part of, you know, their main tactical approach. And you can only, you know, raise your hat to him and say, well done, sir. Well, let's move on to Group F, where somehow I got 50% <laughs> and Dom and Luke got nothing. But again, it was more serendipity about getting that 50% more than anything else, given how ridiculous this group ended up being. Let's be fair about it. And we're going to start off, I think, another team, Dom, that got an F in this group, in this World Cup, Belgium. It's it. That's it. They're done. Their window is shut. And I think at this point, it's probably going to be burned to the ground and the earth will be salted. We are never going to see Belgium this competitive ever again. Well, no, I don't think so too. I think that was it. Their their time is up. Um, they were really disappointing throughout the, they were unenthused. They didn't care. I mean, they finally got rid of Roberto Martinez 12 years too late, in, unfortunately, for them. I always said that the appointment was a strange one, to say the least. Look, they were lucky. Romelu Lukaku probably should have had a hat-trick in that final group stage game. But, you know, the man hadn't played in four months, right? He'd been injured and come back to try and do a rescue job for them. They're asking a lot, right? And I just don't think uh, they were ever up for it. I just don't think they wanted to win it. And Luke, that that's that really goes to the to the crux of the matter is, is has been leadership. The first chink in the armor was when we eventually saw the retirement of Vincent Company as their captain, and now and then that left Roberto Martinez completely exposed, and it really did show that he was the wrong man to coach this this golden generation. Was there anyone else though? Realistically, I don't think anyone else was going to be taking on the Belgium job. Uh, there's no real top-tier Belgium coach who's going to coach a national team himself. Most no, of the I big think nations... Thierry Henry probably takes over, doesn't he? Now, but I mean, like when Mart- Martinez took over originally, uh, I wouldn't have seen anyone else jumping into that spot. Uh, he did all right in some of his performances and showing that Belgium can play and they're not going to crack in the group stage every time, but that's hit and miss. Uh, most of the time, they underperformed. They had no leaders outside of Vincent Company, as you said, Anthony. No one was there just to step in the shoes and be like, it's my team now, I can lead it. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, he seems great for City, not so good for Belgium. He has had some spectacular performances, but you know him, Hazard's a, has, Hazard is a has-been. There's a mouthful for you. Shots fired. But it's, it's, it's a truth, realistically. He's been terrible since he moved to Real Madrid. He hasn't ever really performed to the, to the heights that you expect when he's been in the national team. Um, and they're just not going to get to that level again. There's, I, I can't see any way that they're going to have five or six tier one players in the same squad at the same time going forward. And, and look who they're going to be losing now over the next few years is going to drop out of this. Simon Minolet is going to be gone. Thibaut Courtois has only got one more World Cup in him. Toby Alderweireld has got is probably done. Jan Vertonen has is done. Thomas Munier has is done. 
Axel Witzel is done. Even De Bruyne has probably only got one World Cup left in him. And then Dries Mertens is done. Yeah. All of them are on the out. And maybe there's some good good players coming through. Like I said, there's no way that many good players are coming through to keep up the level that they need to keep up all the expectations that they've been that has been put on them uh, to perform. So we either have to lower our expectations or we have to expect that they're going to be just not a top 12 nation in the world again. Let's move on to the next team, Luke. It is the Canadians. They ended up being my second team in the World Cup. They finished bottom of the group with zero points, one of two teams to end up with zero points, I believe. Um, But it has to be said, they were expected to be genuine whipping boys and they put up a fight at least in some of the games. Uh, They did, but any tournament ends with zero points and the only other team that has zero points or nation has zero points is Qatar. Uh, That's not good. Um, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, we mentioned it in the previews. They were the only two players that could do realistically any damage to the opposition. Uh, And in a group where... Morocco were expected to be just as bad and they finished top. And I feel a little disappointed for, for the Canadians. Um, they just, they, they did things, but nothing, nothing really came of it. And if nothing comes from it, um, you just got to go back to the training pitch and, and work on it, I guess. I detect a little bit of a scoff from yourself, Dom. Were they, are they in for some criticism from yourself? Canada? Yeah. No, not really. I think they were, Disappointing, I think, in the terms of the fact that they didn't put in a good showing. But am I surprised? No. I think they were super hyped up before the tournament, like super hyped up. Like, like if you want to talk about the like the most overrated hype up of all time, it was Canada at this World Cup. I don't know why. I honestly <laughs> don't know why. True. They have one good player. They have one good player. And he's not like, he's an amazing talent. Don't get me wrong. He but, plays left back, though. Like, how he plays he left back. To win? I mean, he plays left back, and he's not that. He's not that great. Like his pace, and he's got, and he's got good speed. But is he an? Is he a good defender? No, I don't think so. I think he's the kind of Gareth Bale kind of style left back, right? But he's not. He's not throw a workhorse. Throw him, throw him up front, then. You know, that's the point. Throw him up front, and they kind of almost did. Uh, you know, he missed that penalty as well, uh, which didn't help. But I don't know why everyone expected him to be so good. I thought it, I was quite surprised, really, when everyone was like, "Oh, they're the dark horses. They could really surprise some people." I'm like, "Really? No, they won't." And you've been playing too much FIFA Ultimate Team to think that these guys are good. <laughs> Jonathan Let- Davis, a new R9. Didn't you? Didn't you hear? Yeah, and apparently <laughs> Cannon's a new Ronaldo. Like, <laughs> oh, come on. Oh boy, let's. Let's move on to a team that is worthy of some massive praise. It is Morocco, who ended up coming fourth overall after we predicted they will come third in the group stages overall. They get an A-plus for mine. And, Dom, it has to be said, they played some brilliant football all the way through, and they did it in with a certain flair as well. Well, look, they were incredible uh, from start to finish. Let's just get that right off the bat. I looked at that team. I said at the start, they were going to be an impressive outfit. 
they were hard working. They were a side that never gave up. Hakim Hakimi was incredible. Um, he just proved time and time again, he's probably the best right back in the world right now. And they just got the best out of guys like Hakim Ziyech and stuff and, and, and guys like Amrabat in the middle to just frustrate opponents and just get their goals when they needed it defensively. Like I haven't seen a side defensively play like that in some time. Like I think from a defensive point of view, they were incredible. You couldn't ask for more. And I, they only conceded Luke one goal in the in the group stages, but still managed to put them away to put goals away. And then in the knockout stages, the cunt they took down Spain in penalties. They took down Portugal. They went down to France. They went down to Croatia. But it has to be said, in both those games far from disgraced. Definitely no, they weren't a disgrace even in that France game. Uh, I think France always had control, but uh, Morocco were really, really, really up for that fight. Uh, they, they 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 did some great things in the group stage. Their team was balanced all over. Uh, obviously, not conceding goals is is really good for what you're going to do going forward. Uh, goalkeeper was sensational. Hakimi, sensational again, and and Ziyech was. Like, realistically, Messi got player of the tournament. Ziyech was doing things like Messi we expected to do. Ziyech, he's a bench warmer. He plays every now and then in the Carabao Cup third round. And then he turned turned into Messi in the World Cup, which was fabulous. Uh, others, El Nezri, uh, Yusuf El Nezri, he, he got some good goals. And there were the surprise packets. Other than Argentina, for score-wise in terms of rating... You probably put them alongside what Argentina did because Argentina were predicted to get to the final. Morocco were predicted to get knocked out in the group stage. I think they're just on level par on how well they achieved comparatively to anyone else in this tournament. We then move on to our last team before we go take our halftime break. It is Croatia, Luke. Uh, they ended up finishing third overall, got an A minus. Their defense was excellent in this um, World Cup. And for mind, they can celebrate at least the fact that they pulled off the upset of the World Cup when they beat, ended up beating Brazil. They did lose to Argentina con, um, fairly convincingly in the semi-final. Got a well-earned third place for their efforts. Just another great World Cup. That's two in a row uh, where they've got into the final four. Technically, last one was second and third. So... You just have to put it as Croatia are just one of the great World Cup teams now. They've been good in the past. They're great now. Mondrić keeps just defying the laws of age. Uh, he's just performing at a very high level that he just doesn't seem like he's going to drop off. They were outplayed in the, in the semifinal against Argentina. Maybe there was some hangover from the length of time they had to play and put effort into beat Brazil uh, on those penalties. In the group stage, they weren't as convincing as I would have liked. The defense was obviously great. Um, Guvardio, who's been good for his club, but was sensational for the nation. Uh, Perisic, again, good for his club. Excellent for the nation. Uh, and they don't really have, you know, tier, tier one strikers. So it came down to their defense. Their goalkeeper was, it was great as well. And, it just proved that, you know, balance of the team, technique of the team, and tactics 
of their team can get you to the final four realistically as many times as you want to put emphasis on those things. And I think that was the big thing, Dom, when we look at this team, is that the, the thing that I'm missing this World Cup from the previous one was a, was a number nine. That role was taken by in the past by Mario Mandzukic, who is a world-class, who was a world-class number nine. He wasn't there playing, but they did. he was there as, as an assistant coach. But Croatia still managed to pivot effectively in that regards. Make no mistake about it, gents. This success, whilst not a final in 2022, still, I think, is more remarkable and a bigger achievement than their final run in 2018. Let's not forget that 2018 side was predicted to go far. It was their golden team. They were expected to go to quarterfinals, semifinals. This squad was nowhere near as good on paper, not even remotely close. Did they play as an attractive brand of football? No. But they just used their strengths so well. Luka Modric, as we mentioned, aging like a fine wine um, and was arguably, you know, and is arguably still, in my opinion, probably the most underrated midfielder uh, to play. And they just got the best out of some other key players too. Uh, You know, they got a bit of luck along the way. They required a couple of penalty knots and so on and so forth. But that's all it takes in a World Cup, right? And they did exactly that. And I think that, you know, I think an A-plus in my mind is something that I give Croatia because I never expected them to be in this position whatsoever at the end of the 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 tournament, for sure. Well, with that, we'll take our break. And when we come back, it will be the second half of the end of our wrap-up of the 2022 FIFA World Cup right here on Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be right back. It's time for the crew to catch their breath. We'll be back after this short break. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Your local RSL is at the heart of every community and there is none better in the hornsby Karingai area than the Hornsby RSL. Whether you're planning a major event, dinner with family or friends or having a quiet night at your local, Hornsby RSL is the place to be. Rediscover what enjoying life is all about with regular weekly events, special entertainment and some of the best eateries in Sydney, we have you covered for a great night out. As always, drink responsibly. Support the club that supports. Come to Hornsby RSL at 4 High Street, Hornsby or get in touch on 94777 and at hornsbyrsl.com.au. The Hornsby RSL. 
proud station sponsors of Triple H, 100.1 FM. Want to look your sporting best on and off the field? Then make sure you get kitted out with ISC Sport Teamwear. ISC Sport are Australia's leading name in custom sports uniforms with a wide range of sportswear tailored to your team's needs. 100% Australian-owned and fully customisable, ISC Sport cover all four winter codes and cricket, basketball, netball and hockey, as well as training and outerwear, ensuring you look the part when representing your community. As Dom Rizzuto would say, look sharp and play pretty with ISC Sport. Visit their website, iscsport.com, for more information. ISC Sport, official clothing partners of Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Looking for a fun night out with family and friends? Then come to the hidden gem in the Hornsby Coringai area, the attic. Located inside Hornsby RSL, the attic provides all the fun and excitement you can expect from a bowling and arcade bar in an intimate location that ensures a real gaming experience for everyone. With four 10-pin bowling lanes, Australia's first augmented reality bowling experience and a selection of traditional and custom-built arcade games, the attic is the place to let your inner child run wild. So make sure you book your next night out at the attic at 4 High Street Hornsby. Call them on 94777777 or book via their website at theattichornsby.com.au. The Attic, part of Hornsby RSL, station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Welcome back to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Welcome back to Splinters, the the bench podcast on Triple H 100. Stop mentioning the bench. Stop mentioning the bench. Start again. It's effortless. Three, two, cue it. Welcome back to Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. Anthony Caruso with Dom Rizzuto and Luke Scarley as we enter the second half of part two of our wrap-up of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. We've got our last two groups to wrap up here, and we now move on to Group G, which everyone got 50% in terms of the predictions, but it has to be said that some of the performances that came out of this group could best be described as questionable. And, Dom, we're going to go to, I think, the one of the other big disappointments from this World Cup in Brazil – and it's, a, and it's a wonder how they did not get further in this World Cup. And it just seemed like, once again, as soon as Neymar went down, the, the hopes of Brazil just sunk. Well, another tournament where we had to put up with media talking about how great Brazil were going to be. And another tournament where they were left scratching their heads thinking, how did this happen? Because, once again, in the group stages, absolute Lightning were the best team, played the best football, were the most exciting to watch, like all Brazilian sides usually are. And then as soon as they had to play a, a knockout game, they just, they, just, they just flunked it. It makes no sense. It needs to be said, a, a, a knockout game against a quality team. We're not oh, yeah. passing shade on South Korea, which we'll get to a little bit later on, but they're not in the quality of, say, Brazil. No, but then the very next game, it, they were diabolical. Yeah, they, they've just been – I don't know what happened. Yeah, there's all of a sudden Neymar went down and they were like, oh, it's game over. 
even though he really didn't have that big a tournament in the build-up to it anyway. Luke, what is it with this with this Brazilian squad over the last few years? People have constantly been talking the squad up, talking the squad up. They have failed to deliver. They still hold the number one ranking for FIFA. And it has to be asked at some point, when did people actually start turning around and going, you know what? This Brazilian lineup can't actually handle the pressure. Well, I'll try and put some explanation on what I thought when I saw that first game. The... They were just your stereotype Brazilian team. They come out and they just think they own the game. Like, I know they've got the most World Cups in terms of victories. They're Brazil. They destroy the South American teams in qualifying. They win the Copa America a lot. But I knew they were thinking about themselves. And how I knew was when they all came out with that dumb bleach blonde hair that everyone got. And they were just thinking about themselves and they just were going to be like, oh, we're going to put on a show. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to stroll past this guy. We're going to put some five-star skill moves on here and we're just going to put five goals in. It's going to be all sweet. We're going to get to the knockouts. We're going to play a crap team because they're just going to play someone who finished second in another group. And fair enough, they, they beat South Korea. But then that mindset is not going to get you through any further because once it comes against someone tough, you don't know how to change that mindset. Uh, and realistically, that's what they've been for maybe six or seven years now. Could possibly be since Neymar came into side because it seems like they play better or play more unified when Neymar isn't in that team. You know, Richarlison had a more. great yeah. Richarlison had a great tournament. He did score some good goals while Neymar was there before he got injured. But realistically, even though he scored the goals. Attention was still drawn to Neymar. Look at Neymar. He can do this. Look at Neymar. He can do that. He's got the talent of one of the best Brazilians ever. His goal scoring record's great. He's going to break, you know, the the Caps record. But then at the end of the day, they just concede dumb goals because, you know, you got Thiago Silva still playing in there and he's busting his busting his backside for that team of pretty much prima donna showboaters and at 37 years old he can't stop every everything when they're not going to be doing their job uh against a, a team in croatia who's very very good the other thing that comes to mind with this team luke was they came into this world cup with no less than nine forwards like what well, were they going to do with them all i assume they were just going to rotate because they thought they were going to get through pretty easy, you know, do what France did, play your third string team in the third game because just because you can, because I, I assume they assumed that they were going to win comfortably in everything. And, you know, it's not always the way it goes. So it was probably a smarter decision to get better balance, but they don't actually have particularly a lot of top quality defenders. Uh, and I think they've just kind of got their little click. The four guys have got their click. You know, Neymar, Richarlison, Anthony's in there as well. They're all kind of just a little together group and they want to be be around each other. Um, and I think the coach played into that and, and just selected too many guys in the same position. There's only one right wing and one left wing on the starting 11. Uh, and you're probably going to need one backup for each. I don't know why you need seven backups. No, I don't understand that either. So... Um, I, I mean, Dom, Dom, I think at some point 
at the end of the day, this this comes down now to the management of this team. Rightly so, the management has resigned after this after this World Cup after this World Cup. Tite basically let the team run themselves, and they have ended up becoming an absolute basket case. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I know the answers for Brazil. They're they're an anomaly. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the next team. It is Serbia, who was predicted to finish third, ended up finishing fourth. And Luke, th- th- this one left me scratching my head because they went out and did exactly what we thought they were going to do. We knew that this was a team that knew how to score goals. Their defense was horrendous. Yep, exactly right. They had so many options going forwards. Uh, in attacking striker position, wing positions, and uh, an attacking midfield position. But just, like you said, they just didn't know how to defend. They've got reasonable defensive midfielders, but as central defenders go, um, it's it's not it's not looking too pretty, too pretty back there. Uh, I would have liked them to see a bit better. The game against Cameroon was actually a very good watch. Uh, I believe that was the last game they had in the group stage. I can't remember exactly. No, no, it was the middle game. Was, the one the they drew three all. Three all. That was that was a superb game, but they were behind, they came back. They were behind again, they came back, and then they were just, you know, didn't really do anything to try and win it. Um obviously they had shots, but you know, they didn't go in, leaving them in a draw, leaving them in a tricky position, meaning they had to win that final game. And Switzerland was a good lineup. Uh but <laughs> I just don't know what to say about them. They're kind of strange. They've got players playing superb for their clubs. Mitrovic, that guy scores a billion goals. And then I don't know what he was doing. He didn't look at any kind of threat as what he did for his club. Uh, Milinkovic Savic, he's one of the most dynamic, big, powerful, ball-playing, passing midfielders. He was good, but didn't set anyone alight. And they pretty much just got what they deserved in terms of finishing last of their group because Cameroon were just more solid in the rest of their fixtures. Where, where does this is a similar team in terms of Brazil? Not so much in, not so much Dom in terms of the quality that they've got in their players, but in terms of the imbalance of the squad. This was a squad dominated by midfielders, and not just midfielders. Midfielders that like to drive forward. And their fence was really left lacking. Yeah, look, I'm not surprised. Like another side that was predicted to be some heavyweight out of nowhere, and they've had a striker who's been playing well for the first time at a world class level in his entire career in Alexander Mitrovic. So they thought he was going to lead the line and lead him to the promised land. And then that was Ed Vlahovic, who's been playing, you know, well for Fiorentina, but hasn't really set the world on fire at Juventus yet. So I don't know where we were thinking they were going to, you know, trouble this group in the slightest against experienced teams in Brazil and Switzerland. And it, it proved once again, that they didn't have that big tournament nouse uh, when it came, when it mattered most. Let's move on to the team that did end up finishing second that we all managed to actually predict, which was Switzerland. And Dom, this was a very, un-Swiss performance at this World Cup because Switzerland normally known as being one of the stingiest defences in the competition. It wasn't there, but we saw some go forward and attack from them for once. 
yeah, I agree. They were rather exciting to watch, which was uh, something I wasn't expecting. But in the end, they proved to be rather entertaining and once again weren't relying on kind of penalty shootouts and little draws to to scrape through. Um, I think a, a, a C rating is, I think, is fair for them. They did a decent job. They didn't set the world on fire. They they progressed. Maybe maybe a C plus. I think I'm being a little harsh on Switzerland, but all in all, you know, they were pretty exo- uh, decent through the group, and then were absolutely trounced by Portugal um, in the round of 16, which I wasn't actually expecting them. I was expecting them to beat them in that game. I predicted that. Uh, that would be the upset, but uh, I was proven immensely wrong in that one. The the only thing I could find with this this squad, Luke, was again like a plethora of midfielders, and in particular midfielders who love to get forward and score goals. But I, I don't know. There was just something about this midfield, especially been led by Grant Xhaka and Zerdan Shakiri, that really just did scream attitude adjustment required for their leadership. Yeah, Shaka's been weird. He's had a lot of red cards for club and country. He's got a wand of a left foot sometimes, but then just duffs it by kicking the ground other times. Uh, but Brill and Bolo played well. Uh, he got a couple of goals. That was pretty much the only striker I can actually remember from them who was on the pitch. Everyone else was just midfielders. And, you know, they got trounced, as, as Dom said, in that round of 16, which was a, an odd result considering, even though Portugal are very, very good attacking, Switzerland are very, generally very good defensively. Uh, but they're just exactly as they were probably last World Cup. You know, they beat Spain in that 2010 one as well. Um, and they're holding their hat on that, but... They're just not progressing forward, but they're not progressing backwards either. Dom, is this a team that probably out of all the nations in the world at the moment probably could do with embracing false nine? Um, ooh, that's a big call. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't it, think it's left field enough for that. Yeah, I can see what you mean. They could. That's the only thing I could say. They could. Maybe. No, I'm saying no. No? Okay, fair enough. We then move on to the last the last team in this in Group G, Luke. It is Cameroon. We predicted them to finish fourth. They ended up finishing third. They didn't disgrace themselves. In fact, all the African nations did okay at this World Cup. Again, you know, they can take away the fact they knocked over Brazil in that last game, although uh, it has to be said that similar to the situation with France, uh, Brazil basically put their second string team on and just basically said, yeah, just go see what you can do. Yeah, I actually like Cameroon. I like what they did in the World Cup. Um, like, I didn't expect them to perform that well in terms of being number one in the group. I didn't expect them to get past around a 16 if they came second in the group. Uh, that game, like I said, against uh, Serbia, oh, that was one hell of a game. And that was a that was one of the best watches of the entire tournament, um, from my perspective at least. And they just did exactly what I expected them to do. You know, they're big, they're powerful, they've got some very good players in there like uh, Angisa, Abu Bakr as well. 
And from there, they punched above their weight in terms of what maybe others would have expected. But I, I can see they can do the same thing again next World Cup with no problems. Um, AFCON might be a different kind of beast. Maybe they'll be really, really good in that. But it's really going to come down to the World Cups and, and they're probably going to stay the same for the next one. Dom, we've seen the African nations slowly developing and now we've seen it with Cameroon becoming the first African nation to beat Brazil. You know, how far away do you think it's going to be before we see an African nation really crack it deep at the World Cup? A long time. With the exception of what, sorry, with the exception of obviously how Morocco went at this World Cup. I think a long time. I think I still think Morocco, you know, whilst they were, you know, um, let's say a fairy tale story at the World Cup this year. There's a difference between being a fairy tale and a winner, right? There's a big difference. And at the end of the day, these squads just don't have the same cattle of fish, you know, uh, to compete with some of the bigger teams, right? Argentina, France, you know, they're throwing off, they're throwing on, you know, some of the best players in the world, both. A and B squads, right? And there's not really too much difference between the two. You look at France, right? We all kind of made a comment on how they did so well with the players that they had. Uh, and I think that kind of speaks, you know, a lot of volumes to um, where the African nations are at, right? You look at Senegal, for example, they were touted to do quite well at this tournament. I know they, you know, put in a decent enough showing, but as soon as they lost Sadio Mane, it was really like, well, let's let's stop talking about Senegal. Uh, that's the case for a lot of them at the moment. So we're still a long way away. But we think this World Cup's shown that, you know, anything's kind of possible. And if the game continues to grow and actually gets to be played um, in nations that, um, you know, aren't usually football powerhouses, I think we can go a long way in seeing it. Uh, develop and maybe an African nation win a tournament. Well, let's move on to the last group, which is Group H. And, well, we started off with a high with these with these wrap-ups and the prediction results by everyone getting 100%. I'm very happy to say that we're going to finish off with everyone getting 100% for Group H. So Yay. collective cheer from everyone as we go through. And we start off with a team that did finish first, and we predicted them to finish first in Portugal. And Tom... I didn't care so much about the football that was being played by Portugal. I was watching them just to see what kind of soapbox crap was going to be produced from this squad. It was highly entertaining when they played decent football and when they weren't playing football, it was... Entertaining. You know, <laughs> entertaining as well. Like, it was just action on on and off the field. Uh, I, I don't want to say it, but... I think the Ronaldo factor definitely played a part in this as well. I know that, uh, you know, he had an okay tournament, but his stropping and his, the, not so much his antics and the way it affected the squad, I just more so the, the, the drama behind what was happening, you know, and still the kind of shadow from the, let's say the, uh, Manchester United and the Piers Morgan interview really affected them coming into this World Cup. You know, I think that kind of played a part in the end. 
there was a few sides that had quite a few, say, dressing room dust ups during uh, the tournament. You know, Benjamin Pavard with France, and we had obviously had Mendy situation with Senegal and Ronaldo, obviously, and it really affected them. And I mean, they were they were strong, and they got they looked like they were going to be a team to beat when they rolled past Switzerland, and then it all just crashed and burned. <laughs> And yet, Luke, when they did drop um, Cristiano Ronaldo for that round of 16 match, what a performance that was and really the best sign going forward that there is life after Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal. Yep, that that, that match uh, solidified the fact that Portugal are going to be okay without Ronaldo uh, around. Like, he, he, he's he been there everything for 14 years, maybe it is now, 15 years in the national team. Uh, he, he won that Euros, and I know he didn't play in the finals, so people are saying, ah, oh, it's not his his tournament, blah, blah, blah. But he, he was everything in their qualifying. He was everything in the major tournaments. He scored their goals. He was the one dazzling the opposition. He was... Sucking players in, having four on one matchups, uh, so that others could get their opportunities. But it's showing that like it, it is the end, and it's not to be feared in the end, because they are so so good all over the park. They've got great defenders. They've got great midfielders. They unearthed this Ramos, who you know people have heard of if you've watching watching football from every corner of the globe, but never seen him on the world stage or even in the national team jersey. So for him to come on and just simply fit straight into the side when you've got maybe four other guys who are just starting out their careers in the national side, like Rafael Liao as well, um, and played that well uh, with what experience they've already got, the goalkeeper might become an issue going forward because there's not as many many in the stock line as they have for outfield players. But there, there was that image of Ronaldo crying at the end and a lot of people took that as, oh, he's just a crybaby seeing Messi doing well and him not. I think that was just, a, from my perspective, more of a showing that he kind of knows it's the end as well uh, in terms of him being the guy for for Portugal. And realistically, Portugal themselves as a squad can move on. Uh, Ronaldo just has to move on as well and say, like, I'm not going to come back to this squad. Uh, the young guys can take it from here. If it wasn't for Morocco as well in their stellar run, maybe Portugal could have made the final again and it's been a fairy tale for Argentina, Portugal, Messi, Ronaldo, but it wasn't to be. And they're just going to be perfectly fine when the Euros roll around and probably have a good chance of getting to the final and winning that as well. We then move on, Luke, to Ghana, who we predicted finished last in this group, and they did finish last. Uh, five goals for seven goals against. It, it was never boring when Ghana was playing at this World Cup. Yeah, a weird old group, weird old, you know, weird old end for the last group. Of it the, really was the group of was, life, wasn't it? It was very, very strange, this group. Anyone could have come first. Anyone could have come last. Uh, Portugal were very good, as we just mentioned. Uh, the, the unearthing of 
Mohamed Kudus, who's been very good for Ajax. He played quite well in a couple of Champions League games last year. Uh, he, he, he could be one to watch to go into a bigger club. Uh, maybe Barcelona or someone might pick him up because he's still very youthful. Uh, but to concede that many goals and score that many goals is very, very strange. Um, they just need to work on a few things. Just like we were saying before about Cameroon and how African nations need to be, you know, what is it, worked on in terms of the way they recruit and the way they bring up players to play for their national side. Ghana needs a little bit of that. They've shown they can get good players, but it's just about getting a few more uh, come next time around. And Dom, what we saw from them in terms of their confidence now out of this, they weren't expected to go, I guess, to an extent as well as they did do at this World Cup, all things considered. Yeah, they finished last in the group. They did get a win out of it. It was a well-earned win against South Korea. Um, and they're going to now go into the Afri- next African Cup of Nations with a lot of confidence. Yeah, they do. They do an amazing... They- had a decent tournament once again, Ghana. They, I don't know how they do it. Every time the World Cup rolls around, they just somehow remain competitive. I don't know what it is. I, even with the squad not looking all that impressive, you know, I, I'm still pretty surprised by the way that they performed. And I think in the end, they, you know, they outdone themselves. Did they surprise me with where they finished? No, not really. But they are, you know, a side that knows how to play at World Cups. If you want to talk about a side that, if they got their, you know, their talent pool right and their youth development right, um, they will win a World Cup. If they, they'll be the first, I think, of any African nation to win one. If there is a team to win it, we move on then to Uruguay. Was predicted to finish third. They did finish third. It was a dom, a very disappointing World Cup for Uruguay, and it has to be said that this World Cup, more than anything else, really does signal the changing of the guard for. Uh, La Celeste. They were woeful. So just poor. Not fun to watch. They didn't play entertaining football. They didn't have any direction. I think the they didn't know who to, who to play up front. Suarez, was it Nunez? Do they, like you said, do they move the old guard on and bring the new one in? Or they, they went with a mixture of both and it backfired terribly in the end. And it resulted in a, in a poor World Cup. And it's been a while since we've said that for Uruguay. They've been one of the better teams in these tournaments in the, over the last few renditions of the event, but not on this occasion. And really, Luke, it does come down to tactics on this. Diego Alonso really had no idea how to, how to blood these, the, this team through. Suarez... I think it really does. It really did show in his performances that re- he was not really that interested in this World Cup. So why have him there in that case? And as a Cavani, his legs are gone, and they really got stuck in no man's land about whether to blood the youth, especially up front. Yeah, so kind of situations for youth is you either go with them or you don't go with them. There's no half and half because. Nunez is thinking, if I'm playing, I'm the guy. If Suarez is alongside me, he's going to attract attention. It's going to be all about him. Uh, He should have just gone with one or the other. They came within a whisker of still getting out of the group and proving us, you know, they could have been through and it would have all been for nothing in terms of tactics and whatnot. It would have been fine. But from now, he's going to have to go with youth. Suarez, not coming back. Cavani, not coming back. Coming back. Uh, 
it's just gonna it's just gonna have to be now's the time we're resetting and we go again. So you're you're calling now this squad gets blown up and they start again. Not as much not as much blown up as I don't think they're ever gonna rely on even in a friendly game Suarez ever again. Uh it's Nunez's forward line now. Uh, he might not be performing that great for Liverpool, he, but he gets a lot of chances, but he just misses a lot of chances. If he can just get that, he can easily be blooded into a new Suarez, and we don't, you just don't have to think about Suarez being around that team anymore. We then move to our last team. It is South Korea, who ended up finishing second. Uh, I gave them a B- minus here, and really, similar to Japan, Luke, it was an outstanding effort to get out of this group. And they did it once again with incredible speed and technique. And I thought the game that really defined what they were made of was that 2-1 win against Portugal to come back the way that they did. Yep, they played very well. And it was not on the reliance of Son Heung-min, which was surprising. He's obviously going to be a factor in every game. And he's going to be a factor in the national side for more time coming up. But they were just good. They did everything right, like Japan, that they needed to do right. And they just snuck through ahead of Uruguay. But that's what they needed to do. Just get out of the group and you're going to get yourself a very good uh, rating in terms of what what they wanted to do. Coming up against Brazil was unfortunate in the round of 16 in terms of how Brazil were playing. But a round of 16 is good for any uh, Asian Federation nation. and. I'm very very happy to say that, you know, they perform adamantly, uh, adequately, sorry, to what the expectations were put on them. And Dom, again, this is another team that really had a a bit of a a squad misbalance. They only had two known strikers, one of them being Cho Gyu-sung, who had a pretty good World Cup all round, and Huang Yui-jol, but the midfield is is very underrated in the international stage, even accounting for Son Heung-min in there. Yeah, they had a, a wonderful tournament, South Korea, didn't they? I think they played exceptionally well. Um, surprised a lot of teams. And, was, and like, I mean, Son Heung-min coming back from injury as well was was pretty epic. You know, we weren't expecting him to, to, to play, were we, at one point? And... He did, in the end, come out and prove it. You know, he's one of the Premier League's, you know, best players. And, we, you know, we had a lot of fun watching him play. And, you know, they got through in, in fortunate circumstances in the end. But, you know, you can't argue that uh, they did deserve where they needed to be. And like you said, they were unfortunate they ran into Brazil because if they ran into him the following week, they probably would have won. But uh, a wonderful tournament by all the Asian-based nations, including Australia, uh, in this World Cup. And... Hopefully, we get to see more of it in the future. Absolutely. Well, with that, we've come to the end of our wrap-up of the FIFA World Cups. There's only one thing left to do, and it is announce the scores that we got from our predictions. And, Luke, I regret to inform you that you've just missed out on a on a pass. You got 15 out of 32. But, Dom, I think we can be kind to Luke. I think we can give him a conceded pass for his effort. What do you think? I, I, I would agree with that. Um, I think oh, he's put uh, for his first effort at... Uh, World Cup predictions, he's put in a, a hell of an effort and can be proud of that. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, but I cannot be as uh, nice on myself. Shocking display. I should have gone. <laughs> gone for Australia. I betrayed, betrayed yeah, the Socceroos. 
I he idiotically said Wales and Denmark. <laughs> the terrible no, no. decision that, making. No, no, no. The <laughs> Wales the decision. One. The Wales and Denmark was the bad one. Yeah, nah. I mean, Denmark, too much fair enough, but Wales was unforgivable. Yeah, too much faith in in no statistical evidence, just mindset. You know, that's just let me down. I won't do it again, <laughs> but I probably well, will. Myself, Dom, I'm very happy to say I actually managed to pass this time. I got 16 out of 32. Well very done, nice, Chris. Uh, you've come a long way. I have, I have. But you did take it out. 18 out of 32, 59%. It's not a credit, which you normally set yourself the goal for. But I think I said, can be forgiven considering the World Cup that we just witnessed. I think we yeah. could, maybe. Maybe. Uh, again, I mean, there were some, there were some interesting choices from yours truly that uh, I'll be reflecting on in in uh, sadness. Yeah, right, you <laughs> four are. Years, four years to recover for the next one, so it's all good. Exactly Absolutely. Right. Well, we have come to the end of our wrap-up of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. It only comes around every four years. And the one thing I can say right now is that the next World Cup is actually going to be in three and a half years' time because, thankfully, we're going to see this World Cup go back to June. That is where true. it should be. Yep, it so, should be there. Should be. Absolutely. So we look forward to that. Um, Luke Scarley, thank you so much for joining us over the last two weeks. We'll be in touch with you. Who knows? We might have you in for a couple of guest stints with us from time to time on Triple H Sports, the revamped Triple H Sports in 2023. Uh, thanks, boys. Thanks for having me again. I'm always happy to be part of the, the, the podcast, part of the analysis and reviews for uh, the listeners and I'm always going to be eager to, to step in whenever it's necessary. Uh, thank you so much for that. Dom, thank you very much for joining us over the last couple of weeks. You're going to be back with us next week because we've got another preview to do, and it's the NPL New South Wales competition. I can't wait, Paul. Football never stops all year round uh, for us here on Triple H Sports and Splinters, and I'm looking forward, jo- forward to joining you and uh, the team next week uh, as we head into another very interesting season of the uh, National Premier League here in New South Wales. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, that is full time here on Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at triplehfm.com.au and available for download at triplehfm.com.au on podcast.com, on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of Dom Rizzuto and Luke Scarley, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Thank you for joining us for Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. You can also find us streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcasts.com and all good podcast and streaming sites.